I was driving with my six-year-old the other day in his granddad's bucky. He likes to drive in the bucky because it has a radio in it. And this radio has a remote. Can you ever believe that? A remote control for a car radio. Anyway, he likes to channel hop on the radio to a station that has music on it. The moment there is an advert or a presenter speaking, he skips to the next station where there is just music. The latest station that has drawn his attention is a Hindi station. He just absolutely loves their music. They're doing their thing on the radio and he's doing his thing by singing along on the bucky. I mean, he and me have no idea what they're saying. But he's enjoying it. All that's missing is that classic Indian head bob motion. Anyway, he's listening to this music and I'm listening with him and I'm thinking how different it is to what I'm used to. I'm not a big listen to music fan. I was when I was younger, but now I prefer quiet. Don't get me wrong, music has its place. Just not when I'm around. You can call me boring, it's okay, my teenage son does. But that's me. So I'm listening to this music that is so very different to what I'm accustomed to, and I think to myself, what would worship music sound like with a Hindi-style flair to it? But it made me also ask the question, would it even be considered to be worship music? Would that be allowed in a church context? And it made me think about today's passage of Scripture. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. It will be up on the screen. But whilst you look for it in your Bibles, let us take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to commit ourselves to you, to commit this day to you, to commit our worship to you, to commit our lives to you. We pray, Father God, that as we go through this passage of Scripture now, that you would bring it to our hearts, bring understanding, bring insight, and that, Father God, you would make it a part of us so that we may be able to magnify and glorify you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 10, we're going to be reading from verse 1, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he was clearly in a vision. He saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your arms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to him, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up to the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. 
Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And saw heaven opened and saw an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about this vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing. For I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, has divinely, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house. And to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go one to another nation? But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent me? Sent for me. So Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your arms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call for Simon, call Simon the yeah, whose name is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a Tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I was sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God, to hear all the things commanded you by God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted accepted by him the word which God sent to the children of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ he is Lord of all that word you know 
which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth through the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who is ordained by God to, judge the, to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. While Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, if you were not aware, if you did not know, let me inform you now that this passage of Scripture, this Acts chapter 10, is a profoundly important one. For you see, it is the account of the conversion of the first non-Jewish believer to Christianity. In Acts chapter 8, we read of the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch to Christianity. So how can I say that the conversion of Cornelius is the first non-Jewish believer to be converted? Because I didn't say non-Jew. I said non-Jewish believer. Let me help you. If you were a genealogical descendant of Jacob... In other words, you had a traceable physical birth lineage to the patriarch Jacob. Then you were by birth a Jew. You were a part of the nation of Israel by birth. And as a whole, the nation worshipped Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Jewish faith was therefore inextricably intertwined with Jewish nationality. Now, if you were not a birthright Jew, you could become a Jew by accepting the Jewish religion and upholding its laws, teachings, and traditions. Such a person was called a proselyte. They were a Jew by conversion, not by birth. They were therefore Jewish believers. Now, the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 was just such a person. You can go and read that he was returning from Jerusalem where he had gone to worship. He had gone to Jerusalem to worship with the other Jews. So he was a non-Jew by birth, but a Jewish believer by choice. And so when Philip leads him to Christ, converts him to Christianity, he already had a Jewish heritage of sort. 
and therefore rightfully not labeled as a non-Jew. Cornelius, on the other hand, was a Roman centurion, a non-Jew by birth, but he was also not a Jewish, Jewish faith follower. He was what the Bible would therefore call a Gentile. As a Jewish centurion, he would have been exposed to Roman cult worship. Yet the Bible interestingly notes in Acts chapter 10 and verse 2 that he was devout and God-fearing and that he prayed often to God. Now please, I need you to understand that even though the Greek word used for God in Acts chapter 2, here is the general term theos, which could therefore be a reference to any deity. You need to understand that the context of its mention here is in reference to the Christian God. So when Luke writes that Cornelius was praying to God, was praying to Theos, there is without a shadow of a doubt that Cornelius was praying to the same God you and I and he, Luke, and Peter were praying to. For you see in verse 28, Peter uses the same Greek word, Theos, when saying, but God has shown me, but Theos has shown me. Cornelius was praying to our God, not just simply a God. And as we read or read, whilst he was praying, an angel appears to him and says that he must go find Peter and bring him to himself because he, Peter, will tell him, that is Cornelius, what he must do. It's not clear from the text if Cornelius was asking something of God. But what is clear is that God knew something, that something was lacking in Cornelius' life. How so very true, friends, how so very true this is for many of us who have journeyed with Christ and with God for a few years. I am certain that many of you can confidently answer that there have been many times where God has answered even what you did not ask. It is as if somehow your very act of approaching the throne of grace with humility unlocked the divine intervention of God to answer even what you were not asking. And if you have never experienced this type of unasked, answered prayer, then I invite you to take deeper steps of faith as you humble yourself in silent prayer before an almighty God and let Him work wonders in your life. Let go and just trust. God wants to be your heavenly Father and to take care of you. Coming back to Cornelius, there is an inherent yearning or need within the heart of mankind to worship something. Throughout the history of humanity, there has always been a recognition that there is something greater than ourselves. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 puts it quite succinctly when it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, been understood from what has been made, so that men, mankind, are without excuse. Cornelius clearly came to realize that the gods of the Roman cult worship heritage, the gods of the different nations that the Romans had conquered, simply did not match up or align itself with the reality that he was experiencing. For you see, 
Friends, it is only in Christianity that there is a coherent and reasonable answer to the four fundamental philosophical life questions of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Only Christianity can reasonably answer those four life questions. Thus Cornelius prayed to God. And God answered. God answered and says to him, find Peter. He will tell you what to do. We then get the whole sheet with animals on it, vision that Peter had. A voice says eat and Peter says no. This was not rebellion on Peter's part, but rather obedience. Maybe it was that he thought it was a test. Maybe he thought God was testing him. Like God telling Abraham to go sacrifice Isaac. So Peter dutifully and correctly says no to disobeying the Mosaic law and to not eat what has been declared to be an unclean animal. But God's response is telling. He says what God has cleansed, what God has made clean, the ESV says, what God has cleansed you must not call common. Peter at first does not understand as it says in verse 70 that he wondered to himself what this meant. The ESV says that he was inwardly perplexed. Perplexed. But later in verse 28 he realizes the meaning of the vision and says, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Any person. What's interesting is that at this stage, Peter has not yet preached the gospel to Cornelius' household. He's only just arrived. Yet he's already come to realize that what God said in verse 15, what God has cleansed, was not be, you must not call common. Peter has come to realize that what was previously called unclean has now been made clean by Jesus' sacrifice. And he immediately equates that to people, to all human beings, not to only a select few as the Jews had always believed, but rather salvation, cleansing, righteousness was now available to all people, all nations. This is an extremely important understanding because not everyone, even within Christianity, not everyone believes that Christ died so that everyone can be forgiven. I'm not saying that everyone will be saved, but rather that everyone can be saved, that everyone can come to Jesus, that everyone can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. That is what I'm saying. Not all Christians believe that. And you need to be aware of that. And you need to be able to sufficiently answer the challenge to give a reason for the hope that you have. That those who you know who are not yet followers of Jesus, you need to be able to sufficiently answer the challenge to give a reason for the hope that you have that there is still a chance for them, for your friends, your family, your loved ones. You need to be able to give, sufficiently answer the challenge to give a reason for the hope that you have that there is still a chance for them to be saved. 
For God told Peter, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. What God has made clean, do not call common. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Again, I'm not saying, neither am I suggesting that everyone will be saved. That is called universalism. I do not hold to universalism. And I'm not preaching universal salvation. For despite Peter saying in verses 34 and 35 that God shows no partiality and that anyone from any nation who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him, the conversion of Cornelius is proof on its own that individual belief and acceptance of Jesus as personal Lord and Savior is still necessary in order to be saved. Good works alone will not get you into heaven. Faith in Jesus, accepting Him as Lord and Savior, that is what gets you into heaven, regardless of your prayers or good works. And again, Peter gives us a model answer to give to people. In verses 36 to 43, go read that model answer and learn how you can share the good news of Jesus with other people. Go look at his other model answer in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 39. Go read these model answers and equip yourselves to share. Your faith is not for you alone, but for the world. For the world. As I start drawing this to a close, what has Cornelius' conversion got to do with the Hindi music that I mentioned in the beginning? And I'm glad you asked because the answer to that question is everything and nothing. In truth, worship music or style of music has got nothing to do with it being an expression of the evidence of your salvation. I want you to listen to that very carefully. The style of worship music is of lesser importance than the words. As long as the words are not heretical, then what the worship by song or music sounds like is of lesser import. And yet, it has become a major point and been a major point over the many years of church history to the point of division. From as early as 200 AD, Decisions were taken to exclude certain instruments and styles to the detriment of new believers seeking to introduce them as mechanisms of worshipping God by song. Just as my son's listening to Hindi music and enjoying it and me asking whether that would be acceptable in church, I came to realize that for many, worship music style is a matter of bias, not impartiality. And that if we truly believe that when we go get to heaven and as Revelation 7 says that there will be a great multitude which no one can number of all nations, tribes, people and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb then we need to realize that there is going to be many different styles of worship, music in heaven too. That is not going to sound like we are used to. But which is still going to be a true and bona fide expression of worship to God. What Cornelius' conversion reveals to us 
is that prayer and works that are the true, are the true measure of faith. Jesus quoted Isaiah 56 when he said, My house will be called a house of prayer. With Isaiah's full text being a house of prayer for all nations. James writes that it is a combination of faith and works that is the evidence of your faith. Cornelius showed us, exercised both prayer and works, showing his faith in God to be real. With the testimony, with the proclamation of the good news of Jesus by Peter, being the clincher that sealed the deal for Cornelius' salvation. God is the God of all nations. That has always been his quest. Always been his mission. Cornelius' conversion became the forerunner of door being swung wide open for the evangelism of the world. Go then, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, you must know that Jesus will be with you always, even until the very end of days. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father God, for the life of the disciples before us. We thank you that we can learn so much from the Acts of the Apostles. Even if most of it, Father God, is the works of Paul and, 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 and Peter. We know, Father God, that they represent what you want us to know about reaching the world. And so, Father God, we pray that you'd forgive us where we have been judgmental of other people and the music that they listen to the worship music that they listen to, we pray, Father God, that you forgive us. For we recognize, Father God, that there is going to be a plethora of music and music styles in heaven. We pray, Lord, that you guard our hearts, but that, Father God, you also help us to guard the words because it is the lyrics of the song that make it a worship, a Christian worship song. Not the style. We pray, Father God, that you would help us to be a part of those that reach the nations. That reach the nations, Father God. We pray, Father God, that you would help us to pray and to pray often. And to do works of righteousness, Father God, as James says, so that our faith will be proven by our works. We pray, Father God, that you would be with us in the days ahead as you start drawing us as a church together again to worship as one body in unity under one roof. And so, Lord, as you draw more and more people to yourself, may we be a safe haven for those who come to seek you and to glorify you and to magnify you. And may we ourselves show your truth in and through our lives. In Jesus Christ's name and for your glory's sake we pray.
Amen. For those who are watching on YouTube, there's going to be a closing song and there's going to be communion as well. But before you go, I want to pray a blessing over you. Let us pray. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Please join us for communion.